Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. If you have your Bible here today, I encourage you and invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. We're almost finished with Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in Matthew 5 probably another two weeks. We're nearing the end of Matthew chapter 5, and today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And as you're turning over there, as we're thinking about today, as our choir has reminded us, as our praise team has reminded us, as, as we have all been singing about the same thing that we sing about every week, our only hope is in the Lord, I want you today to think about eternity. I want you to think about a forever with God. A forever with God that all of those who love Him get to share with Him. You know the reason we get to share an eternity with God? We know that we'll get to share an eternity with God because God has brought eternity to us through the ministry of the Son. We call Him the sent Son. He is the Son who was sent from the Father so that He would interrupt our routine with grandiose thoughts of a forever with God. But if we're honest this morning, on some days, it's hard for us to remember eternity. When bills are due, when money is tight, when you're hungry, when someone you love is suffering from a sickness and you're standing by their bed to say goodbye, when someone cuts you off in traffic, when you're sitting in a classroom, and the teacher or the professor, whoever it is that's up in front of you, assures you with scientific proofs that there is no such thing as eternity. As you sit in front of your TV and you binge watch the latest season of whatever show there is in great anticipation for whatever next show is coming, there are many things in our lives... Many reasons in the daily affairs of our lives to forget eternity. To live in the dark as if there was no light. And here's the hope of our message that we proclaim to the world. Here's the hope. Don't miss this. In the midst of bleakness, in the midst of darkness, eternal light has begun to shine. Don't miss this either. The eternal light shines on us, causing us to believe. And then the light of the world says, now you are the light of the world. And He sends us out to go shine on others, to go shine the light of His truth, the, the glory of His countenance on everywhere that we go. If we follow Jesus, we follow forever. And we who know forever, we call others to embrace this same forever by calling them to trust in Jesus. We encourage others who don't know forever to embrace this forever by us living today in our daily lives today in light of the forever that we will spend with God. We live today in light of eternity. And let me just say this. We are not just living by the moment by the moment. We are living in this moment for every moment. We are living today in the light of an eternity that we will share with God. 
Now, how often does the thought of forever with Jesus enter your mind? How often are you moved with satisfaction and joy as you think about the great message of hope that we have in Jesus, a forever that we will spend with God? I don't know about you, but I want to live this day in light of every day. I want to live this day in light of forever. Let me just say this. What if the biggest obstacle that you and I face with living a forever with God, what if the biggest obstacle for our experiencing all that God desires us to be was ourselves? Let me put it in a little more personal term. What if the one person hindering you from living a forever with God today was you? What if you are your biggest hindrance for being all that God wants you to be? Today in our text, we are confronted with the truth of God's mission. As we've been entitled this series, Come and Meet Your King, we're encouraging one another every week to look at not just what Jesus says, but to look at who Jesus is and what He says. Because those two things are the same thing. So, today in our text, we're confronted with the truth of God's mission His mission is a mission, never forget this, it is a mission to rid us of ourselves. It is a mission to rid us of self. So let's read the text together. Listen to the Word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38 through 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Would you pray with me? Father, as we read Your Word, we're already confronted with the difficulty of what You're saying to us. Father, today we pray that we would learn Christ. And that today we would be open through Your Spirit's power to take every thought captive and place it under Your obedience so that we may learn what it means to live a life fully pleasing to You. If there are one or more who do not know You today, may You, through the preaching of Your Word, convert them. Call them to salvation. And let them today, for the first time, embrace an eternity with Jesus. In whose name we humbly pray. Amen. Now, if we're honest, we look at that passage. Here we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and man, Jesus, He just keeps laying the hammer on us. He keeps coming at us and saying these things, and If we're honest, we're taken back and then, whoa, wait a minute. Just as we are ready to take another breath, He takes us back under for a little bit deeper of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the closer we look at Jesus, the more beautiful we see Him. The closer we look at Jesus, the more we understand how greater this difficulty of this life that He is calling us to. So I just want to ask you a question before we even consider this text. I want to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have to know what that means. 
a disciple, the word literally means learner. And so if you're going to call yourself a learner of Jesus, you're going to take seriously as well as think deeply about what it is that Jesus is saying. And if we think about someone who's a disciple, we think about one who makes it their ambition to know Christ, one who spends an effort to take every thought captive and place it under His obedience. And I just wonder this morning, as we have considered what Jesus has said in Matthew 5, 38 through 42, is that is before us today, when Jesus says, if someone slaps you, give him the other cheek. If they you to go one mile, go two. They want to take your coat, give them your shirt as well. He's saying all of this stuff. I just wonder if you are ready to call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here we have this path marked out before us. Christ has come into the jungle, the dark jungle, and He is blazing a path for us to follow Him. And I just wonder, how many of us are willing to follow Him wherever He leads? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? One who is ready to do what He says, even if what he says is costly. Jesus, through our text today, is going to give us a test to see whether or not we are ready to be called His disciples. Now let's be honest. The last parts of chapter 5, if we look through them, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies... If we're honest today, the last parts of chapter 5 are some of the highest peaks of the Sermon on the Mount. Highest peaks. And these two sayings in 38 through 42 and 43 through 48, they are some of the most loved as well as some of the most resented passages in all Scripture. They are the most difficult to understand and they are the most easily misunderstood of all the sayings that Jesus has ever said. So we have to ask ourselves a question. As we come to this moment, as we're ready to hear from our Lord, we have to ask ourselves a question. What on earth is Jesus saying? And how on earth can we make sense of what it is that Jesus is saying? The way that we make sense of what Jesus is saying is we have to go back to the context. We have to understand what Jesus is saying from what He has said. Don't miss the significance of the context. Context is king. And so here, look at what happens. We don't want to isolate these verses from the whole. That's something called Jesus. That you're taking this passage out and putting it on your wall as if John 14, 6 or Romans 12, 2 was the only thing that was said. We know as we look at this before us, there's more to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6 than just verse 6. That's why there's a 14 and a 6. We know that there's probably a 13 Probably a 15, there's probably a 5 and a 7. We understand that there's a context. And so, what is the context of what Jesus is saying? The context of what Jesus says in 38 through 42 is the Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes? Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Look in the first verse 2 through verse 12. The Beatitudes. We should say, and we could say, the whole sermon flows from the Beatitudes. And what are the Beatitudes? Look at them for just a moment. Those are those blessed statements. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. And and all these blessed statements. What are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes 
or this picture that Christ is painting of this new humanity, this new world order that He is bringing as He accomplishes through His person this ministry and this new world order that He's bringing. These Beatitudes are descriptors of the life that Jesus has come bringing to a world that has been stained with sin. And so as we read through them, mourning and meek and peacemakers and persecuted and all of these things, no wonder when we first read them, they look so different. I heard a pastor, one of my friends in Alabama, he recently said to me as we were at the Southern Baptist Convention, he said to me, man, I remember in seminary, you and I fighting over the doctrine of salvation, is it election, predestination, all of these things. And he said, man, nowadays I find it difficult just to live the Beatitudes. And that's the truth. We focus on so many things, I'm afraid, when we need to be focusing on the main thing, not how we get this life, but this life that Christ has called us to. And if we're honest, it's a struggle even to live the Beatitudes. A struggle more than a struggle, it's really an impossibility. That's why we must be born again. But before I get ahead of myself, before we get to this passage Matthew 5, 38 through 42. I want to tell you what these verses are not teaching. Listen carefully. These verses are not, listen to me carefully. These verses are not teaching a pure pacifism. Let me tell you, pure pacifism. And I have some friends who are pacifists. And they can make their argument for being a pacifist. I'll make mine against not being a pacifist. And here's my reason. Pure pacifism turns a blind eye to justice and does not uphold righteousness. And it is a shame that some take this passage right here. It is a shame that some take this verse out of the isolation of every, everything else that Jesus has said and they take this verse that is supposed to be a means of liberating us and they turn it into something that is legalistic. Second, these verses are far removed from any idea of Jesus calling us to be weaklings. Remember, we've already looked at this, blessed are the meek, when Jesus said, for they shall inherit the earth. We looked about what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. These verses are not calling us to be holy doormats for the world to wipe their feet on. Thirdly, these verses are given to followers of Jesus Christ as individuals. Now that's important on this July the 4th, Sunday. It's important for us to remember that. This is not... For nations, if we want to read what Jesus says about nations and how we interact with the nations, we can read Peter, we can read Romans, but this is not for the nations. This is for Christians individually. And remember the context again. I'm going to call you back to that because we want to understand what Jesus is saying. Remember the context. Jesus is interested in telling us about how the new world is breaking in with His coming. So I want to be as clear as I can right here without getting too involved because we could really get really involved right here and I could preach a whole series just on this, but I don't want to. Listen close. If this message is not to nations but to individuals, listen to me. We who are formed by the Sermon on the Mount, we who are formed by the life of Christ individually, listen carefully. We who are individually formed by this life, we go and live this new life that He's given us in every place on the earth. We live it as doctors. We live it as farmers. We live it as soldiers, as policemen, as politicians, as mothers, 
fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, students, aunts, uncles, and every other place. We live in the world as those who are in the world, but not of the world. We live in the world with a joy-filled anticipation of another world that's coming. As John Stotts famously said, we are those who are living in between two worlds. John Piper, he said it another way. He said, we live with this, I forget the exact term, but he said this joy-filled schizophrenia where we are desiring to be there, but we're here. And so we don't know what to do. We're torn in between two worlds. And so He has called us in the meantime as those who are waiting for and longing for this day. Until then, He has called us to be preparing this world by being a disciple who makes disciples. Do you understand that? That's what we're called to do. That's how we long for eternity. Someone says to me, how do you know if you're really looking forward to the kingdom come? Are you making disciples? Because heaven is a real place. And if heaven is a real place, and that means that hell is a real place. And if hell is a real place, and heaven is a real place, and that means that there is only one way to both of them. And the way that we know that is because Jesus said so. And so if heaven is a real place, and hell is a real place, and Jesus is the only way, then we have to be making disciples, preparing for this world to come. That's how we know if we're ready for the world to come. Not we're sitting around in some church service praising Jesus. That's important. But we are out in our neighborhoods. We're out in the grocery store. We're telling our children. We're preparing this world. We go to the voting precinct. We go to the courthouse. We do everything that we do in light of this world that is coming. So we have to understand this before we can understand what our Lord is saying right here. Christ came as one man. Don't miss this. Christ came as one man to be every man. In Adam, 1 Corinthians says, all die. In Christ, all are made alive. Jesus says this later in, in John. He says, some will be raised to an eternal life, those who trust in Jesus. Others will be raised to an eternal damnation. But listen, you know what the thing that we all have in common with everyone? Everyone's going to be raised. Jesus has taken what Adam has done and He has undone death in His one person. By being who He is, He has undone everything that Adam did. So the difference between us and the rest of the world is some are raised to life, those who trust in Jesus, and others are raised to an eternal damnation away from Him. And so He came to remake individuals before He remakes the world. Don't miss this. What are the disciples saying? Jesus is raised from the dead. Is it at this time, Lord, that you'll establish your kingdom? And what does he tell them? It's not for you to know times, season, epochs, all the rest. But you will literally be witnesses of me and you will go in every place, every dark corner of this world, beginning right where you are, and you will be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. Before Jesus comes, to remake the world, He remakes individuals. And before He remakes the world fully and completely by His second coming, He has told us to make something. And what has He told us to make? We are to go and make disciples. And who do we go make disciples of? Everyone. Because whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And how are they to call upon him unless they hear? And how are they to hear unless they are sent? So then, what is Jesus saying? If this is to individuals, if he's given us a mission, if he's told us that we're to live our lives as a lighthouse to the nations, if He has told us that this is our mission, then what is He saying? Listen carefully. These verses right here that we have, you know what they are? I love this. You have to get this. This will change the way you read the Sermon on the Mount. More than just some ethical statement or some new law. No, no. These are little sketches to help us understand Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is a mission of deliverance. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that Jesus has come for one reason, and the reason that He came was to save, to seek and save the lost ones. You see, the Christian message is that we need saving from all sorts of things, but the main thing that we need saving from, are you ready for it? The main thing that we need saving from is ourselves. And that's the point of contention. With the spirit of this age. The spirit of this age says just live how you want to. Everything's fine as long as you're happy. YOLO, you only live once. Just go out and do it. The Christian message says you were made for an eternity. You were made for more. You can't just live how you want to live. You have to live the way that God ordains for you to live. Because we were made, the Bible says, everyone, every person that breathes is made in the image of God. And what does that mean? We were made to have a relationship with Him made to have fellowship with God, but we chose to turn our hearts away from God. And here is the sobering part of the message. As I've already said it once, I'll say it again. What if the one hindrance to advancement in your life was your self? Self is the antithesis to godliness. Self always means defiance to God. You are not alright if you are out of Christ. You can't do a certain amount of good to work your way into heaven. The Bible says you are dead in your sins and in your transgressions. You are without hope, without life in God. Self always means defiance to God. And I would say that self is the root cause of all unhappiness in life. What do we call a person who is full of self? What do we call them? We call them full of themselves or we call them selfish. If someone comes up to me and says, Andy, you are selfish, I'm not going to say thank you. I'm going to say, whoa, maybe there's something in my life that I need to change. If someone comes up to me and says, Andy, you are so full of yourself, I'm going to think, whoa, that's not the way that I want to be known. And I hope it's not the way that you want to be known either. Think about a verse of Scripture with me as we put it on the screen back here. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Look at this passage. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Then look at the next part. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Now, we've talked a lot about self. That's the reason that I want to put that verse up there. Listen to it again. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. You know what that verse is? I believe that that verse is the Christian message in pill form. That's the Christian message. This is the Christian gospel is all about Christ who came to our world 
And then He comes to individuals. Don't ever miss this. This is why we love what Jesus says to the woman at the well. This is why we love the story of the lady with the issue of blood who comes up to Jesus and says, if I can just touch His garment. There are 10,000 people around Jesus, but only one person in that story matters, right? One. That lady. Jesus has come to individuals. And what does He come to? He comes to ourselves who are lost We were lost in a dangerous sea without our true heading. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't even know which way was up or which way was down. And He has come into our storm to be our lighthouse. He has come to direct our way. He has come to take the wheel to turn us from disaster so that we would arrive safe to shore. And so the Christian message is He, listen to this, the Christian message is He who finds His life will lose it. And whoever loses His life for my sake They're the ones who find it. Think about that. Someone says, man, we need a countercultural faith. We need to make the call of Jesus countercultural. We don't need to do anything to the gospel. Just preach it. It is countercultural enough. Listen to what Jesus says. He who finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I just got off a vacation. Just came back from the beach. And you know, there was a bunch of individuals there. Of course, it was very crowded. My dad and I stood in the grocery store line at Walmart for an hour just to get a carton of eggs. It was ridiculous. We're all there individually. And everyone's pursuing something. And our whole market system of marketability says, listen, you need to discover who you are. And then Christ says, no, Christ comes into that world that's so full of self and He says, no, don't discover who you are. Discover who I am. And it's by you discovering who I am that you will abandon all effort of finding yourself and you will find me and then I'll teach you who you are. We talk about autonomy. We talk about independence. But I have known no greater... Listen to me carefully. I have known no greater freedom in my life than being a slave of Jesus Christ. There is no greater freedom than that. No greater freedom than knowing who Jesus is because when I know who Jesus is, then I know who I am. And that message is so countercultural to this world. The Christian Gospel says that a condition of separation has greeted everyone on the earth. You came into this world as you took your first breath as my little darling Ezra, who was just born last September, as he took his first breath, listen carefully, he took a breath of separation from God. He didn't take his breath in the presence of God. He was born outside of the promised land. We're waiting for our God to bring that kingdom come. Do I believe he'll go to heaven when he dies? Sure, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm simply talking, we were born, Psalm 51, in a condition of sinfulness. And so a condition of separation has greeted everyone who is on the earth. We were born separate from God. And how did this separation occur? One word. How did it occur? Self. How did this separation occur? Self. So you go back to the biblical worldview and how does it say that we were separate from God? The beginning of the story of the world is the beginning not just of what happened to Adam and Eve. It's the beginning of our story. We chose our desires over what God says. And the story of what happened that one day is repeated every day. 
instead of desiring what God said and all things being in a beautiful divine harmony, we set our desires in opposition to what God said. And as a result of that, a separation between what He says and what we desire occurs. And that separation causes a friction as hot as hell in our life. We are choosing to walk away from God. But here's the good news. Jesus has come into that hot condition of separation. Jesus has come into that condition that was darkened because of our own choice. He has come to mend that separation. He has come to take what was broken and put it back together to make our desires Jesus only Jesus. I want you to think back to Psalm 37 just for a moment. Put it back if you want not mind on the screens for us. Think about that verse just for a moment. Delight yourself. You say, preacher, you're talking a lot about us. You said self was the antithesis of God. You said that self is always defiance to God. What are you talking about then? How can you make sense of Psalm 37? Look at it very closely. Delight yourself in the Lord. You see, that levels you right there. Where are you delighting yourself? Not in self. Yourself is now wrapped up in the Lord. And then don't miss what comes next. He will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because your delight is not the desires of your own heart, but your delight is now filtered through yourself being delighted in the Lord. The desires of your heart are the Lord. Our ways are His ways. And then as a result of that, He gives us all things. And why would we say that? Why can we say that? All because of Jesus. Because Jesus has come to this world to teach us that there is a better way. Jesus has come into this world to teach us that there is a better way of delight. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Don't miss this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So then what does that mean? There again, context is everything. Don't just quote that verse. Because it's not as if we just get to take a back seat now. We say, Jesus, take the wheel, and that's all there is to it. You know, God is my co-pilot, whatever the little garbage that we have floating around. That's not what we're saying. Listen to what the verse says next. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And then listen to what Paul says next. The life that I now live. I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You're living this life. You're delighting yourself in the Lord. You now understand who you are because God has told you who you are. And so a follower of Christ is one who is constantly dying to this self. Dying to their interest dying to their concerns. And a follower of Jesus Christ has only one interest, has only one aim, has only one concern, and it's summed up in Jesus. Living for Jesus and pointing everyone then to the satisfaction of their souls. It's all about Jesus. And I can't think of a greater challenge than dying to self than these four illustrations that Jesus gives us here. Look at them. The cheek, cloak, the mile, letting someone borrow from you. Can you think of a greater test 
and to see whether or not you're ready to give all of your ambitions to Jesus. What's the point of Jesus saying what He's saying? He is saying all of this so that we will be rid of ourselves. Don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that we won't fight for truth and justice. But it does mean that as we fight for truth and justice, we are not fighting for vengeance because we've been personally wronged. We're not seeking vengeance. We're seeking justice. The life that God is calling us to is the life that John the Baptist told us about where John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. Let me use myself as an illustration. And maybe if you hear how this passage of Scripture speaks to me, then maybe you'll understand how it can speak to you. I can't think of anything better than preaching. I really can't. Someone once said one time, why stoop to be a king when God has called you to be a preacher? Well, what motivates me as a preacher? What is it? Is it to stand on some elevated platform above some people who don't ever talk back to me so that you can hear what I say because I really like hearing my voice? What motivates me as a preacher? And and realistically, as, as God was hammering these truths into me last week and the week before as I was preparing this message, God knows before I even speak. So really, it's about Him sifting me. But why? What, what is it that motivates me as a preacher? Is it self-interest? Is it self-concern? Is it somehow to elevate myself? Am I seeking the advancement of God's glory or my own glory? God knows the truth anyway. And I can come up with something flowerly to tell you. But God knows what is true. And since God knows my heart, I have to say, here is my heart, Lord. Here are my desires, Lord. Help me to understand and know what is true. I have to be constantly, not just in one moment, but in every moment, praying, Lord, help me to pursue Your glory above everything else. Consume me with this and give me this one pure and holy passion, a glorious ambition to know and follow wholeheartedly after You so that my life is just a portrait of Your grace. My life is consumed in Your glory only. Dying to self. Now that we know that Christ has come to rid us of ourselves, Now that we know that our lives are meant to have new affections and to direct the affection of others towards the glory of God, how can we know if you're dying to self? How can you know if you're dying to self? And we don't have a lot of time this morning, so just four ways from these illustrations. Very carefully, listen, I'm going to speak fast. Number one, taken right from the text. First thing he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Are you willing to suffer physical pain for the sake of truth? I didn't say these were going to be easy. These are tests to know whether or not we're dying to self. Remember, who is the one receiving the blow to the cheek? It's the one who is being formed into the image of Christ. 
the ones who are preparing today to live for eternity. And we know that we're going to spend a lot more time in the kingdom that's coming than we are in this present reign of evil. Some of you won't be able to turn the other cheek unless you have finished with yourself. Some of you have heard of George Mueller of Bristol's. Others of you who haven't heard of him, you need to read his book, George Mueller of Bristol's. He was the great Englishman of faith at the turn of the 20th century. He raised millions of dollars for an orphanage all through prayer. He didn't ask for a penny. George Mueller said, There was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller and his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, his will. I died to the world, its approval or censure died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends, and since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Why would martyrs such as Polycarp and Perpetua go willingly to death for the cause of Christ? The reason is simple. They had been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. And the life that they now live in this flesh that will one day be free from sinning, the life that they live in the flesh, they live by faith. And the one who loved them and gave themselves for Him. Jesus said, if one hits you on the left, give him the right. In other words, don't seek vengeance. Have an attitude of selflessness. In the first century, when someone came up and slapped someone on the cheek, it was demeaning, it was insulting, just like it is today. But offering the other cheek, you're saying, all right, hit me again if you like, but this time do it as one who is equal to you and not as one who is inferior. We could spend all of our time here, but remember that the principle that the Lord is calling us to is to rid ourselves of ourselves. So let's keep climbing. Number two this morning, a test to know if you're dying to self is are you willing to suffer material loss for the sake of truth? Look at what he says here. If someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Let me just say, in those days, most people, they just had those two pieces of garments. And so the point Of course, if someone sues you and takes the outer garment and you offer them the inner garment, then that means that you're left naked. Jesus says, show them how shameful this is. Show them the shame of this world system and the ridiculousness of this world system. Let them know that your pursuits will not be contained to this world. Show them that there's something greater to desire than vengeance. Show them that there's a better way to live. Number three this morning, are you living your faith? Before the world. Look at what he says. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. How could someone force you to go one mile? Well, you've got to understand what happened in the day. The Jews were under Roman occupation. A Roman soldier could force anyone that he wanted to carry whatever he wanted for as much as a mile. And Jesus says, even for these men whom you despise, show them that there is a better way. Go two miles instead of one And this attitude, I think, is captured by Paul. I love Paul. Paul was imprisoned in Rome under house arrest and he's rejoicing. He closes his letter to the Philippians saying that some of Caesar's household say hello. You know what that means? It means that while Paul was in in prison, he was preaching Jesus to the guards that were there. Meaning that he had to take every opportunity that he had to 
preach Jesus. And so if a soldier comes up to you and says, hey man, come with me one mile, you go with him the next mile and you tell him about Jesus because you're living your life, not just in the simple light of this life, but in the light of the life that is coming. Someone once said, they who hope for heavenly things easily spurn earthly things. Yet I doubt that those who strongly embrace worldly things believe firmly in heavenly promises. I doubt that those who strongly embrace worldly things believe firmly in heavenly promises. Number four. Jesus says, give to the one who begs. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We can contemporize that by saying this way. Number four, are you considering others more valuable than yourself? And I'm just so grateful that for the joy set before Jesus, He endured the cross. I'm grateful that Jesus did not count equality a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself and became obedient even to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Now this verse, listen, because I want to protect you this verse is not calling us to help the drunk stay drunk or calling us to help the professional beggar stay a professional beggar. What this verse is calling us to is to see others as more valuable than ourselves. It took just as much of the precious blood of Jesus to save me as it did the drunk in the gutter. It takes just as much blood to save the drunk in the gutter as it does the Queen of England. The cross of Jesus Christ levels everyone and sets them on the same plane and says you are dead in your sins and the only hope is Jesus. You look at these four things. Some of you are already saying this is impossible. You're preaching a message that is impossible. But remember the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of this life that Christ has come to bring. It is a picture of the life of Christ and we are called to be conformed into His image. 1 Peter 2 says this, Peter preaching to those who are exiled because of their faith. He says to them who are suffering this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Remember that Jesus went to the cross. He committed no sin Neither was the seat found in his mouth when he was reviled. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it is by his wounds that we have been healed. We were straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You see, we don't go in this world and fight fire with fire or even fire with water. We go to this world and we proclaim it is finished. We go and we proclaim liberty to the captives. We proclaim that there is a peace and peace has a name. His name is Jesus. And we want to spend our lives, no, listen, no matter what, knowing Him. And making Him known. Today as we close. I want to show you. A video that. Vividly. Illustrates the attitude of dying to self. 
In 2015, the world was shocked. You're going to remember this. When the Islamic State, ISIS, released a video of 21 Christians in an orange jumpsuit walking on the beach. These Christians were part of the Coptic church known in the region as the people of the cross. The Orthodox Coptic church in Egypt released the names of 20 men originally. There were 21 on the beach, but they released the name of 20. It was later learned that the 21st man was not a Christian when he was escorted to the beach in his orange jumpsuit. But when the terrorists came to him and asked him if he rejected Jesus, he responded, their God is my God. To which the terrorists ended his earthly life. In the months following, the people of the cross wrote a message to ISIS. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.